God, you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You are our God, and we are your children. We love you. We need you. God, thank you that your word is truth. Help us to love your word. Jesus, help us to love like you love. Holy Spirit, will you transform us and make us holy? Our nation is hurting. We have turned away from you. We pray for revival. May it begin in me. May it begin in us. We pray that we, Good News Church, would be a blessing to the community around us and that we would guide and give, you would guide and give wisdom to our search teams for World Golf Campus pastor and small group director. Father, thank you for Strider, for the way you use him to help youth become disciples and disciple makers. Lord, as Strider brings the message today, we would ask you to bless his words and bless our hearing that you may be honored and we might grow closer to you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You good if I move this, this way a little bit? Thank you, Steve. Morning, everybody. How are we doing? Yes? Good. A lot more energy than the first service. This is awesome. Hey, so glad y'all are here. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 35. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up here on the screen. And um, I need a little help just for a second. So Chad Warner, if you could come up here just for a second. Y'all give it up for Chad Warner. This is great. Hey, as you're, uh, as you're turning to Genesis 35, I have a question for you, and it's on the screen. And the question is, who, yeah, come on up, who are you? If you could just stand right here, but don't block her, that would be great. I'm maybe like down there on that step. Actually, just come up here, that's fine. Who are you is the question. If, uh, if somebody, if you had a new neighbor or uh, maybe a new coworker, and you were just getting to know one another, and they asked you the question, who are you? How would you respond to that question? There are some connecting cards in front of you. There are some studies in and around you. I would love it if you would just, for a minute, uh, jot a note. Just think about how you would answer the question, who are you? Maybe you want to write something down. If you're not a writer, at least take a mental note. Um, Hey, I didn't really need anything. I just wanted you to come up here so people could clap for you. You can have a seat now, Chad. Thank you. He tried to convince me that my mic was on as y'all were singing. And so, um, it was on? You didn't lie? My gosh. Okay. So sorry. What did I say? Did y'all hear me? Okay, great. Thank you for whoever said you sounded great. Appreciate that. Question is, who are you? And it's a question of identity. And some of you, some of you know this about, uh, about me, but most of you don't. Uh, I actually didn't go by my middle name, which is Strider, for the first 18 years of my life. My full name is Matthew Strider Stokes. And so uh, when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, I, I was, went by Matthew, and most people knew me as Matt Stokes. And how I got to uh, Strider uh, happened like this. I uh, was a senior in high school, and um, I got into my dream school, and as a part of going to college, uh, orientation was a big deal back then. Internet, you know, was kind of a new thing, and so uh, if you're going to take a tour or get to know somewhere, I mean, you've got to show up 
in person. You can't watch a video. You can't go to a website. And so uh, orientation's a big deal. And as a part of orientation, they send you this giant packet. And it tells you where you're going to live, and it tells you all about the school, and it tells you uh, the different uh, degrees that are offered. And so the packet shows up, and I'm looking through it, and my dad asked me a question. He goes, hey, what do you think you might want to study? And at this point, I've got, I got no clue what I want to do. And so I'm looking through the list, and uh, all of a sudden, I come to something that catches my attention, and it says sports broadcasting. And I'm like, Dad, that's what I want to do. I love sports. I love playing sports. I love watching sports. I, uh, I, I would love to be on headline news or ESPN. That's what I want to do. And he says, that's really cool. Why don't you go for it? He says, as a matter of fact, your mom and I have always uh, played around with the idea of calling you Strider. And what a memorable name that would be. Strider Stokes, Headline Sports. Strider Stokes, ESPN News. Why don't you consider going by your middle name, Strider? So I thought about it for a couple days, and I'm like, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm changing my name. And so I go to orientation, and people, you know, are all over, from, from all over the state, all over the country, all over the world, and we're introducing one another. What's your name? My name is Strider. So weird. For like months, I would introduce myself as Strider and thinking the whole time they're going to they're gonna find me out. They're going to know my real name is Matthew and this whole thing is just going to be over. But I started introducing myself as Strider and, uh, and it stuck. That name for me became an identity. Strider Stokes. And that identity had a purpose behind it. Because I thought I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. This morning, as we open up to Genesis 35... We're going to read a story about Jacob. And in this story, God shows up and he gives Jacob a new identity. And that identity has a purpose to it. Because here's the point that I want you to remember today. Encountering God leads to a fundamental change of identity and purpose. That's the story that we're going to read this morning. Encountering God leads to a fundamental change of purpose and identity. Genesis 35, if you would turn there with me. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel, important, we're going to come back to that, and settle there, also important. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. As we read verse 1, here's what I want you to take notice of. This verse is all about God's grace and mercy. Because this is striking when you remember back to what we read last week in verse or chapter 34. Because in chapter 34, Jacob and his sons, this thing is falling out. If anybody's got a solution to that, I would, I would be all ears for it. See what I did there? Um, Jacob and his sons literally murder an entire town called Shechem, at least all the males in it. And so that happens, and God shows up, and he speaks to Jacob. And you might think that if you've just committed murder, especially murder of a whole town, that God would show up and have something harsh to say about that. But in verse 1 of chapter 35, he does the exact opposite. He shows up, and he says, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. God reminds Jacob of this place that has tremendous significance in Jacob's life. Matter of fact, this 
event that God is referring back to happened 30 years earlier. And I think it would be helpful if you and I read those verses to give us some context of what God is inviting Jacob back to. So turn to Genesis 28, and we're going to read verses 10 through 19. Verse 10 says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So Jacob goes back to this, excuse me, goes to this place, fleeing from his brother Esau. He had just stolen his birthright, and his father gave him a command to go back to his family and find a wife. I don't want you to marry any Canaanite women. I want you to marry a woman of our own people. And so Jacob takes initiative, runs away from his brother, who he's cheated out of everything, and on his way, he stops, and he takes a rock, and he falls asleep on it. And as he's sleeping, he has this dream. And the dream is of a ladder. This ladder is a picture of something that happened earlier in Genesis. And we find that in verse 11 when we come to the Tower of Babel. Because in Genesis chapter 11, the people of the earth develop a plan and a grand idea to build themselves a tower or a ladder to get to God. All the people come together and say, we're going to use our own initiative, our own intelligence. This is going to be great. We're going to build this tower. And when this tower gets tall enough, we're actually going to be able to reach to heaven. We're going to ascend. We're going to climb this tower or this ladder. And when we get to the top of it, we will actually be able to reach God, reach the gates of heaven. And the outcome of this in Genesis 11 is that God brings this tower to the ground. He shatters it. And on top of that, he scatters all the people. And he changes the language to the point that people wouldn't be able to communicate the same way again because he knows that there is no way for people to ascend to God. There is no way for people of their own initiative, of their own power, of their own accord to reach God, to reach heaven. And so he shatters this tower. And in this dream, Jacob sees this ladder. But this ladder is different. Picking up in verse 13, sorry, 12. He had a dream, Jacob, in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And this picture of this ladder was different from the Tower of Babel because on this ladder, God comes down. The Tower of Babel, people are trying to go up. And God said, no, 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 that'll never work. You need a better plan. And so God says, I will be the plan. And God descends this ladder to do something 
about our condition. Verse 13, there above it, the latter, stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Important. I will give you this place. And this place has significance for God's people because it will tell a story. And the reality is that not only Jacob, but you and I were made for a person and a place. I will give you this place and your descendants, the place that you are lying on. 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. This is important. And I will bring you back to this land. Here's a promise. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And what is the response and the reaction when you realize that God is present? It is terror. Because when you are confronted with holiness, it is traumatizing. He was afraid, verse 17, and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. House of God, literally translated Bethel. This is the gate of heaven because what I see in my mind is this ladder and God and angels ascending and descending and this is a game changer because everybody on earth has been trying to climb to God and now God has shown up and revealed to me that that plan does not work and that what I need most is a God who comes to me. And so Jacob is blown away. This is the gate of heaven. Interestingly, when Jesus, later on in the Gospels, refers to himself as the gate, this is the passage of Scripture that he's referring back to. He's trying to connect something for us. Early the next morning, Jacob took a stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. So Jacob names this place because it, now it has an identity and it has a purpose. So he calls it Bethel. And what follows the events of chapter 34 is God's invitation from Shechem, from shame, from disobedience, back to God. Back to verse, or chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel. Remember the place where you learned about the ladder? Go back to that place and settle there. Dwell there. Live there. Rest there. Don't depart from there. Because not only does that place have tremendous significance, but it also includes promises. And Jacob, I want you to dwell in those promises. I want you to remember that your God is a God of forgiveness. Your God offers grace. 
Your God offers mercy. And so go up to Bethel and live there. Which brings me to a question. This is not a question of judgment. It's just a question for you to consider, and it's this. Where are you settling these days? Where are you living? Where are you resting? Where are you dwelling? God's invitation to you is to rest in his forgiveness and love and mercy and grace and promises. But let's be honest, sometimes we just rather live in Shechem than live in Bethel. How do you know? How do you know where you're settling? Here's another question that might help. Where are you experiencing an undue amount of anxiety, drivenness, obsessiveness, envy of others, or resentment right now? If you can connect those feelings to a person or a circumstance or a place or a relationship, it will give you a clue as to where you are settling or what you are settling for right now. Where are you settling? God invites you to settle in the house of God. Verse 2. What do you do when a holy God shows up and says, I want to talk with you? I'll tell you what you do. You do exactly what Jacob and his household do. You panic. And you try to cover your unholiness. Because when you come face to face with holiness, the only thing that you can recognize is how unholy you are. And so you try everything in your power to cover up your unholiness. Listen to what Jacob says. Verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have. Seemingly that when he went to Laban's household to get his wives and brought people back, servants, those things, that they also brought these household idols with him. Statues, carvings, amulets, that living amongst Jacob's household are these foreign gods. And so Jacob says, get rid of them. But that's not the only idolatry that the Bible talks about. Yes, there are physically made and crafted things that we can worship, but idolatry is also anything good, bad, or indifferent that we place in a higher position than God. And we, you and I, our hearts are idol factories, and we do that with all kinds of things. We take everything that we see on those lists of places where we're settling, and we make them the most important thing in our lives. And when we do, that is idolatry. And Jacob says to his whole household and his whole family, get rid of all that. And then he says, purify yourself. Literally, make yourself new. But how do you make yourself new when you've just murdered an entire town of men? That doesn't scrub off. That doesn't come off in the shower. How do you make yourself new when you can clean the outside, but you can't clean the inside? How do you clean envy and jealousy and lust and murder? How do you make yourself new? It's impossible. Finally, Jacob says, change your clothes. Because 
When we stand before God, he is incredibly pure. So these old clothes, they won't do anymore. You need new clothes. Do everything you can to try to cover up your unholiness. But here's the problem. Ecclesiastes 7 tells us this. There is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. That's the reality. That we cannot clothe ourselves. We cannot cover up our own unrighteousness, our own unholiness. Climbing the ladder to get to God is a terrible plan. And it damns people to hell. What we need is a new ladder. Not one that we're continually trying to climb to reach God, but we need a God who will descend to us. And that is the story of the Bible, from cover to cover, that God descends the ladder. And his plan was to send his very self. He sent his only son in the form of Jesus to come, the only righteous and holy one, to do something about our unholiness. And Jesus, for 33 years, walked on this earth and was holy and righteous and obedient and perfect. And then he said, I love these people so much that I am willing to give my very life for them on the cross. I will be crucified. My blood will be spilled as a payment and penalty for their sin. I am willing to take their place. It's God coming down the ladder. And interestingly, in John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus says this. He then added, this is Jesus speaking, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Sound familiar? Straight out of Genesis 28. That Jesus is proclaiming, I am the ladder that you need. That I have come to be the connection between God and man. That I am making a way. And Jesus says that you can't get there by earning it yourself. It comes, eternal life comes by faith. And it starts with admitting and recognizing that you and I can do nothing to scrub away our unholiness. It just won't wash off in the shower. It just doesn't go away when you change your clothes. You admit that. And then you believe that Jesus is the only holy and righteous one come down from heaven to do something about your issue that you can't do yourself. And you believe that when he died on the cross, that that is enough to proclaim you innocent. That Jesus takes your guilt and you transfer your trust and you begin recognizing and admitting that this plan of climbing the ladder never works. And you say with your mind and your mouth and your heart, Jesus, I am trusting you as the God who comes down the ladder to save me. 
And then you make a commitment to follow him as Lord. Because if your plan of climbing the ladder ain't going to work, the reality is that all the rest of our plans in life aren't going to work either. Jesus is wiser than we are. And so we submit and say, you become Lord of my life. You call the shots. You created me. You've done everything for me. And now my purpose is to enjoy you and to follow you. That is what saving faith is and looks like. Have you made that decision to get rid of the old ladder and replace it with a new one? Verse 3. Jacob says, I'm going to proclaim the gospel to people. This is my good news. I'm going to gather up my family. I'm going to gather up my household. And I'm going to tell them about the God who always keeps his promises. Verse 3. Says to his household, then come. Let us go up to Bethel. Let's go to the house of God. Let's go to the gates of heaven. Where I will build an altar. Literally a visual cue that will lead us to spontaneous worship. I'm going to build a sanctuary. And when we see that, we're going to remember and we're going to praise and we're going to worship the God who comes down the ladder. I'm going to Bethel. I'm going to build an altar. And then he starts proclaiming the gospel. I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Are you tired of these idols who can't talk back? Let me introduce you to a God who listens and answers. Come with me to Bethel. You want a God who knows and cares and does something about your distress? Come with me to Bethel. You want a God? Want to know a God who's been with me, who doesn't leave me, who's faithful, who always keeps his promises? Come with me to Bethel. That is Jacob's message to his household. I'm going back. Come with me. And seemingly, his whole household says yes. Because in verse 4, it says, They gave Jacob all their foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, influences from their time living at Shechem. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. They give Jacob everything dishonoring to God. And Jacob takes it, and he buries it, and together they leave it behind. You know what will make a person who is settling for something else want to settle in God's promises? A better treasure. You know what will make a person who is realizing that they're guilty of idolatry, want to leave that behind, a better treasure. Because better treasure leads to buried treasure. And so they leave it behind, and they trust God, and they set off to Bethel. Verse 5, they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, 
so that no one pursued them. And this verse reminds us of a promise we read a few minutes ago in Genesis 28, verse 15. God promises Jacob and his whole household, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. And here's the promise. And I will bring you back to this land. And so it makes total sense that as Jacob and his household travel through the lands of Canaan back to Bethel, that the terror of God falls on the people around them. Jacob and his sons are marked for death because of the atrocity that they committed at Shechem. And yet, seemingly, God protects them and provides for them, and the terror of God falls on all the peoples around him as God is faithful to his promise to bring Jacob back to this place. Verse 6. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan, and there he built an altar, visible reminder. And he called the place El Bethel, God of the house of God, or strong God of the house of God. Because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Jacob is remembering the faithfulness of God proclaiming that. Verse 8, now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Alan Bakuth, which means oak of weeping. Deborah was like a second mom to Jacob. He would have known her since birth because Deborah came with Rebekah when, when she married his father Isaac. And so Deborah most likely raised Isaac and knew Isaac. And that was a very painful experience. And so her death and burial was commemorated right here outside Bethel. Verse 9, they've made it back. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And here's the thing about blessing. When God shows up and blesses someone, it is both for them personally, and it also serves a purpose. It is for them personally, and it also serves God's plans and purpose. God blessed him, and he said to him, your name is Jacob, deceiver, heel grabber, birthright stealer, cheater, untrustworthy. When people say your name, when people think about you, that's what they think of. They call you liar. They call you cheater. Your name is Jacob. Can you imagine living for 70 years and hearing that every day of your life? I mean, at some point, that just begins to grind you into the ground. When you hear that enough, it becomes your identity. And you begin to act out of it. So everything that Jacob does makes a whole lot of sense because for his entire life, he's been called cheater and liar. And can't we identify with that in this room? Some of you have been told no good. You've been called liar. You've been called adulterer. You've been called cheater. You've been called coward. You've been called ugly. 
and we wear these names as an identity. God shows up and he intervenes in the midst of that, just as he intervenes in our lives. And he gives Jacob a new identity. Your name is Jacob. And then he says, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. And most of the time when, in scripture, when we see the word Israel, we can translate that as God fights. But in this particular instance, the subject is Jacob. And so the name is translated fights with God. Prince. I'm changing your name from cheater to prince. And from now on, you and I are no longer adversaries. From now on, you are one who stands beside me because your name is fights with God, wrestles with God. Your identity has a purpose to it because I am inviting you to participate in my work of ushering in my kingdom. So he changes his name. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine when people see you, they call you, oh, he's fights with God. What's your name again? I'm wrestles with God. I'm on, I'm on God's side. God is for me. Can you imagine what that would do, what that did do in the life of Jacob as he began to introduce himself as Israel to the people that he met? As he walked around his family, his household, hey, Israel, how's it going? Hey, fights with God, you having a good day today? That 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 would produce security and hope, that that would overflow out of Israel's life. And not only is that word and name Israel for Jacob personally, but it also points to the task that God gives him. Because when we encounter God, he changes both our identity and our purpose. Verse 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. What God is about to say to Jacob relates to the task that he's going to give him. But before he just lays that task on him, God changes the very nature of their relationship because God introduces himself with a new identity. I am God Almighty which he said to his grandfather Abraham, which he said to his father Isaac, and now he says to Israel, because I want you to know that I am a strong God. I am a God who meets all needs. There's nothing I can't do. There's nothing I can't accomplish. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Israel, I want you to know, I want you to know me as that God. As we move forward in our relationship together, Know me as God Almighty. And then he gives Israel this task. Be fruitful and increase in number. It goes back to the very beginning of Genesis as God makes this covenant relationship with his people. And he says, be fruitful and increase in number. I want you to multiply. I want my kingdom to expand throughout the earth. Increase in number. And then he makes Israel another promise. This is still in verse 11. A nation 
and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. That there is future royalty in your bloodline. And the land made for a place, made for a person, God Almighty, made for a place, verse 12, the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. God shows up, and he gives Jacob a new name, Israel. And when he does, remember back to our point that encountering God leads to a fundamental change of identity and purpose. Jacob, Israel's story, is our story too. Because if you have faith in Christ, you have been given a new identity and you have a new purpose. And there are a lot of different words throughout scripture. All of them are good. Child of God, Christian, believer, redeemed, forgiven. There are lots of titles, lots of identities, and all of them taken together maybe begin to scratch the surface of all that God has done for us and given for us. But one passage in particular, I, I just can't get away from this, and I haven't been able to for the past couple months, and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you turn there with me, it's on the screen as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how do you get in Christ? Climbing the ladder doesn't work. Believing. If you have believed in Christ as Savior, you're in him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. God calls me, God calls you a new creation. Your name will no longer be liar. Your, no, your name will no longer be cheater. Your no, name will no longer be untrustworthy. You are a new creation. When you have faith in Christ, God shows up. He intervenes. He gives you a new identity, and he calls you new. This is what Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus understand in John chapter 3. That Jesus literally makes us new. That we can't do that ourselves. It has to be done for us. You are a new creation. The old has gone, and the new is here. And did we do anything to earn that, deserve that? Verse 18 tells us no. All this is from God, who reconciled us, who, who bought us back, who gave his very life for us on the cross, who shed his blood as a payment and a penalty, who declares Jesus guilty and us innocent. God himself reconciles us. And he does it through Christ, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That now you and I have a message because we get the privilege and honor of telling people about the God who comes down the ladder. 
this ministry of reconciliation, that it's true. You can be made right with God, but only through Christ and only through what he's done on our behalf. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. What's an ambassador? It's a representative who's been given authority to communicate and act on behalf of a ruler. And in our case, it's a king. And in our case, it's the king of all kings. That if you have been made new, you have also been made an ambassador. And that we get the privilege and honor. God gives us authority to communicate and act on his behalf, to usher in, participate with him, to fight alongside him, to wrestle with God for God's kingdom. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. That's God's plan, to use people like you and me to proclaim his kingdom. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Believe it. Trust it. Never depart from it. Dwell there. Live there. Don't settle anywhere else. Verse 21, for God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin, the only righteous, perfect, holy one, to literally become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Translation, you get new clothes. Can't do anything to change your old clothes. That plan doesn't work. Someone has to give you new clothes, pure clothes. And in this verse, Jesus literally becomes sin for you and I on the cross so that we might be clothed in his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us our identity and our purpose. Your identity is one of new creation. You have a new name. And you also have a purpose as Christ's ambassador, his representative given special authority to communicate and act on his behalf. And the interesting thing about this passage is that if you've been made new, you've also been made an ambassador. But the two come together. And if you've been made an ambassador, you've also been made a new creation. That that is our identity and our purpose. So we're going to come back to the question that we started with, which is, who are you? For me, new creation and ambassador are two words that I want to live in, settle in, dwell in. And I think that we can learn something from Israel as we finish up Genesis 35. After they uh, finished talking, <clears throat> verse 13 says this, Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it 
Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Jacob takes a rock and he sets it up as a visible reminder to never forget, to always remember. It is a visual cue. I don't want to forget this. I never want to depart from the God who saves me. And I think that gives us a great action step for this week. So what I want to invite you to, challenge you to this week, is to remember your names. I want to invite you to read 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, every day this week. And when you get to verse 17, or when you start with verse 17, and you get to new creation, I want you to stop, and I want you to worship. And I want you to thank God. And I want you to remember the God who comes down the ladder. That you can do nothing to save yourself. And yet, God intervenes. And when you get to verse 20, and you're reminded that you are Christ's ambassador because you've been made new, I want you to stop and ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with that? Wherever I live, work, play, whoever you put in front of me today, how can I implore people? How can I beg people? How can I proclaim to people to be reconciled? How can I tell people about a God who comes down the ladder? How can I share with them what you've done for me personally? Because encountering God leads to a fundamental change in identity and purpose. Let's pray. Jesus, you are God in the flesh. Come down the ladder to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. Jesus, you are holy and righteous and worthy. And we just want to stop and honor you. It is unbelievable. When we stop and think about it, it is unbelievable. We deserve nothing but death and hell. And yet in your mercy and in your grace, you choose to intervene for us. And so we just stop and say thank you. Lord, help us to believe and to know and to remember and to never forget that you have called us new creations. And help us to treasure and take up this authority that you've given us to both communicate and act on your behalf this week. We pray this in your name. Amen.